Well, friends, for those of you who may not come from a, a tradition uh, of the historic church, uh, today marks the beginning of Lent, uh, Ash Wednesday. This is our first Sunday of Lent. And so in Lent, we move through the life of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry uh, to the cross on Good Friday and, of course, Easter morning. And so um, let's share in God's good word at the beginning of his ministry in Mark 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Step in here, hot pants. America's sweethearts are back. You guys ready to check out your fixer-upper? HGTV's number one series returns with all new episodes. You excited as I am? I love you. You ready? I love getting to take their home and create this dream home for them. Unbelievable. Wow! This is amazing. You slayed it. You killed it. Yes! (laughs) Fixer-upper. How many of y'all have seen Fixer Upper? Have y'all seen that show? Yeah? I've never seen it. But I think it is a good metaphor uh, for the Christian life. I've, I've seen parts of it. I mean, I've seen bits of it. Um, but the thing I love about Fixer Upper is that they can see something that no one else can see. They can look into that home or that place or that relationship and they can see something that no one else sees. And by the end of the show, that vision has become a reality. Uh, thank the Lord for all the fast editing and getting all that together because that's a lot of work to go from, you know, something that needs a lot of work to, da-da, your dream house. So today, we're going to talk about how to build your dream home. And, of course, we're using that as a metaphor. So as a part of our sermon series, um, if you take your sermon notes out, we want you to know this, first of all. Every life is in need of a renovation. Will you say that with me? Every life is in need of a renovation. Yours, mine, Everyone that you'll ever know. We all need a renovation. And um, in the church world, Lent is the time we are invited to make a radical return to God. That's what repentance means. To turn our lives towards God. Anything that would separate us from God or be a distraction to us from God, we try in this time to push that aside and refocus on God. Now the thing I love about Lent is that the Christian life can be difficult. To look more like Christ, to do that training, can be really tough. And so, um, I don't know if if you're like me, but I've been a Christian really all my life, as long as I can remember. And there are seasons where I'm closer to God and sense God's presence, and seasons where I'm not as close to God. And the thing is, you can't run your hardest every day of your life. It doesn't work. You'll burn out, and then that's, that's the end of you. So Lent is that time where we get to start over. In the same way that you have four seasons, summer, fall, and winter, and spring, in in church life, this is our time where we plant again, where we put those seeds in the ground and we trust God with the results, that we die to ourselves as Jesus dies on the cross and we trust in the resurrection. So these 40 days, not counting Sunday, are the days where we say, yes, we're going to have a do-over. We're going to start again. We're going to have a second chance with God. And if you had a terrible Christmas and you messed everything up and you missed Valentine's Day and your spouse hates you, guess what? You're in luck. We're starting over today. So first Sunday of Lent, we get to start over. And so this this is a particular period of time where we say yes again to God in an intentional way. So uh, we thought that Fixer Upper uh, would be a good metaphor. So this dream home that we're talking about today is a metaphor for a transformed life. 
Now, we thought about renovated life, and, and that's good. We thought about a remodeled life, and that's good. But transformation is really what we're talking about. Um, so when God created the world, he created a lion and a tiger and a bear. And, uh, you know, we say, oh, my. But he says, that's good. That's good. He says, that's good. He looks at a tree uh, and the whales and the fish and the birds there, and he says, they're good. And then he creates humankind, male and female, for each other. And God says, this is what? Very good. Very, very good. And so in our tradition, we believe that we are created in what's known as the imago dei, in the image of God. However, that image, because of humanity and the darkness in the world and the evil that's in the world, the fall is how we refer to it in traditional Christianity, that that imago dei is marred. It is covered up. It is diseased. And it needs to be healed. It needs to be restored. It needs to be made new. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. It is the very spirit of Christ, the resurrected one, that we trust to resurrect us as well. So it is this transformed life that we're looking for. The problem is that many of us don't really believe it anymore. We, we act like, it, like we do. We come to church. We're pretty good people. But we're just not really sure if life can be different. Particularly as you get older, it, it, gets, it gets harder in some ways. You, you wonder if life is ever really going to change. The things that you struggled with in high school, or maybe you even had a, a bad temper as a child, as a five-year-old. It, it, you know, you went to therapy, or you went to a counselor, and it really wasn't much better when you were 10 or 12 or 15 or 17 or 22 or 32 or 42 uh, or 52 or 62. Those same sorts of issues, your brokenness just hasn't ever really changed. And part of it is the church hasn't done uh, a strong enough job, in my opinion, to, to really share with you the truth of what it takes. And so I'll, I'll just give you three examples very quickly. Uh, from left to right, there's a high school student, for example. They were raised in a Christian home. They, they went to church. They went to Sunday school. Uh, they even went to OCS, right, Oklahoma Christian School. They went to Christian schools. Um, but by the time they were a sophomore, uh, the friends they were running with had introduced them to cocaine and, and to different kinds of drugs and, and alcohol. It was the sort of end thing to do when other people's parents were out of town in Edmond because there's a lot of rich folks that can be out and drugs are available in all our high schools, private ones and public ones. Um, and friends, that's not unique. Uh, I see it every year. There, there are kids that you would not expect to be in deep weeds and deep trouble, and they are. And, and the psalmist says that you train up a child in the way they shall go and they shall not depart from it, and they do. They have. They will. And we say, well, well what, this, this, what do we do? This doesn't make sense. Is there really any hope for those kids? They know everything they're supposed to know. We've taught them everything we're supposed to teach them, and they are still wayward and lost. You can refuse Christ. You can refuse his love. You can choose your own way, and many do. Many do. Or, or maybe it's the lady in the middle. She's a woman, and she's tried to stop criticizing others. She's tried and tried and tried for more than 10 years. Um, she's even talked to a therapist about it. She's, she's talked to her friends about it. But the, the reality is she has less and less friends because every birthday party she seems to nitpick at, at the balloons or the flowers or the cake was dry. And I mean, she just criticizes everybody because what's hurting and broken in her, she can't help but spray on everybody else. And now she finds herself alone. And no one really wants to be around her. They have pity on her, but... But they don't invite her anymore. She's not welcome at the birthday party or the graduation or the anniversary event. They really don't want that negativity and that toxic piece around them. And so she's out. And she knows that they know it, but they don't know what to do about it. 
Or, or maybe it's the father on the end. And, and he had anger issues and tried to work those out in high school sports, uh, but he seems to always lose his patience. Uh, he just he can't seem to let go of the control of making other people know what he wants to, them to know or do what he wants them to do. He's always been a bully, and it works for him at some level. He has power. He knows it. He uses it to get what he wants, and he's afraid that if he ever gives that up, his life as he knows it will be over. So he doesn't like the life that he has, but he doesn't know how to get out of it. And he yelled at his youngest daughter again last night. And as he slams her door, he, the last vision that he sees is her in tears. And she's tiny. And his efforts seem in vain. This, this is not unique to these three, is it? We all have this sort of thing in our life somewhere, some way. And we wonder, is there any help. What do these people have in common? They're all in desperate need of a remodel, of a real transformation, not a tweaking here or there, but a real transformed life. They wonder, you may wonder, is it still possible? Is a different, more peace-filled life even an option anymore? Now, so that you don't hear what I'm not saying, I think a good therapist can be awesome and helpful. I'm not knocking that. But even when people are doing that kind of hard work, it doesn't make it go perfectly the next day it's a long road it takes our best efforts the best that our church community has to surround you the best that our government and our world has to offer to begin to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth it's not something you can play at and have it go well i'm so thankful for my mentor dallas willard he passed a number of years ago and he says of all these situations a life of victory over sin really over sin and circumstance is accessible to all, to everyone, to you and to me and to people that you have already given up hope on. No, a life of victory over sin in Jesus Christ and his power and the power of the resurrection is still accessible, still available to you today, but it will take our very best efforts and Christ's power, both. So what do we need to know to get started? Well, first of all, and I've alluded to this and said it just straight out, it's not a quick fix. Say that with me. It's not a quick fix. You won't be a super Christian by Tuesday. Even if you come up today and get baptized and give your whole life to Jesus, you're not going to be perfect on Tuesday. You're just not. And if you don't believe that, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. You know, you're getting better, but this is still a problem. When you're under stress or when this happens or da-da-da, we're still struggling. It takes our best effort. It's not going to be a quick fix, friends. And it's going to cost you more than you want. It costs Jesus way more than he wanted. It cost him everything, the cross, to bring you and I the hope of resurrection, the actual power to change. And it's available to us, but it cost him everything, and it will cost us everything. It cost everything, friends. That's what he says to the disciples. Pick up your cross, not a piece of jewelry you hang around your neck. Pick up your cross, an instrument of death, and follow me. It will cost you your life. And, of course, it will take longer than you think. It will take your whole life. That's why Paul writes in the New Testament, work out your salvation, your salvation, friends, with fear and trembling. It is a lifelong process. And, and many of you all know that Reverend Andy and I have, have promised to you uh, as your pastors that we will try to be a better preacher, a better teacher, uh, a better listener next year than we are this year. And for those of you who have been with me a very long time, you know that I'm better today than I was in 1999. Some of you will say, well, you're not as good as you were in 2009, but 19, okay, whatever. I mean, we have seasons where we go up and down, right? We go up and down. But we're, we're supposed to grow in Christ. But the most important thing I want you to know is you can do it. You can do it with God's help. You can. 
And you can't do it without his help. Right? Because in Christ, we can do how many things? All things. And what can you do without Christ? Nothing. Our very breath comes from him. So Jesus shows us how to be transformed. He shows us the way to do that. Dallas Willard would say, you know, you've seen Jesus' words in red. He thinks that all of the things that Jesus did should be in green. So we know that we can do those too. We can do the things that Jesus did. He shows us how to be transformed. And really, friends, this is the part that's really hard um, to talk about and to teach because people just don't like it. It's all about humility. It's just all about humility, about self-sacrifice and humility. And Jesus models this over and over again. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, his cousin. Now, we can just read over this very quickly, but the truth of the matter is this was no small thing. This is where John would have lived, in a cave much like this. This is the Essenes uh, in Qumran. It is down by the Dead Sea. It's a desert area. The Essenes left Jerusalem because they felt like uh, the world had completely lost its way, and they were hoping that the Messiah would come and save them. They were trying to be people of light in a darkened world, and the only way they knew to do that was to completely escape. And so what's going on in the Scripture then is that John's going to live down here by the Dead Sea. That's going to be Qumran. Those of you who went to Israel with me, we saw this together where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. John's going to move from here. He's going to go all the way up past Jericho to about this area here to baptize Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, having grown up in Nazareth, is going to travel again through uh, desert regions down to the Jordan to be baptized by John. For both of these men, uh, it's a multiple-day trip through desert through wilderness, it's a very hard thing to do. Jesus has found out that the time has come, that his cousin is close enough, and it's for him to leave home. Jesus faced a moment of decision, and all of us do. After 30 years in Nazareth, friends, think about the humility of what it would take to say yes to mom and dad for 30 years. Everything mom wants, everything dad wants, yes. Yes, I'm working blue-collar, hard-working, making things out of stone and wood 30 years. But there's that decision point when the Spirit calls him to be baptized, to humble himself, God's own son, to go to his cousin. So he leaves his home, and he goes to John at the river. Now, I don't know about you, but any of y'all have cousins? When I would hang out with my cousins, it didn't always go well. Right, they were older, and, and I mean, that's a lot of trust to just say, okay, I'm going to go down underwater now, John, you know, be nice. And whatever John wants to do, John's going to get to do. And God himself is placing him in the hands of his cousin. But it was time. The decision had to be made. Now, I wonder about you and about me if, if we really know that we're at a point of decision. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. Um, when we lived in our first home here in Edmond, um, we had a shower. Um, just uh, It was a fairly small shower, but it was, it was pretty, and we liked it. And, um, you know, it, it was a big deal. We had two boys uh, across. They had their own kind of little half-bath sort of thing with a little tub. But it was a big deal if they could use mom and dad's shower. They loved that, and they thought that was awesome. Uh, in our family, more than you need to know, uh, we love to play music in the bathroom when we're getting ready. Uh, so we, we turn on the tunes. And we take our showers. Sorry for the mental images. But, you know, it was, it was a good time. We had, had a good time. And what, what was unknown to us at the time was that somewhere in, in the work, uh, there was a crack. And maybe the reason we could afford that home was that it was built with substandard materials. And so you're supposed to use a certain kind of backing for these sorts of showers. Uh, the person that had built it uh, used something different. 
And uh, as the drip would come back, it would start to rot out the materials behind the pretty tile. And, and you could, every once in a while, you could kind of hear this little drip, drip, drip. But we had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Who cares? Right? I mean, you're just going on with life. And you hear this drip, drip, drip. Like, where's that come from? I don't know. We don't see anything. Well, okay. And um, one day, one of our um, family members, who will remain nameless, decided that they wanted to go have a dance party in our shower. They, they didn't want to use their bathroom. They wanted to, you know, have a good time in our showers. So we're like, okay. And, and Chantel and I were in the front room, and then all of a sudden we just hear this. And, and this isn't the actual photo, but it didn't look a lot different than that. It all just fell in. It, it just fell in. And you know what we knew? It's time for a remodel. It wouldn't work, right? I mean, that doesn't work. You can't take a shower in that. It just didn't work anymore. And we knew we had to do something. And so we started the remodel. That's where we found out where the problem was. We found out the sort of backer board that you needed for those sorts of things. And we know more now. It was a mess. I wonder if you can hear the drip in your own life. Or are you still waiting for the crash? In your spiritual life. You see, the first step in every AA meeting, NA meeting, SA meeting, SLAA meeting, is this, if you'll read it with me. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's true for all of us. And, and, and maybe your life isn't unmanageable in your own mind, but it might be to your children. It might be to someone else. The first step is to admit, no, it's time for a remodel. Like, we need it. We need it now. That drip has been on us for a while. And we may not see it yet, but we know that it's coming. So first is the decision. We have to make a decision. If we don't make a decision to be transformed, remodeled, then nothing really goes from there. Secondly, though, Jesus' baptism was also a moment of equipping. Of equipping. There's nothing that happens in the Bible before the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Nothing. No miracles, no feeding of 5,000 or 4,000 or 7,000, no Sermon on the Mount. Nothing. He waits until the Spirit comes to him and then... He sent out. And so as just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he see the heavens torn apart and the spirit descends upon him like a dove in a gentle way. And this empowerment leads him then um, to be identified as God's son. In humility, he did what God asked him to do and God blesses him and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's what the scripture says in Mark 1, 11. So here's, here's the thing today about that. Brene Brown, who's a researcher in shame and guilt, and she's down in Houston, does an amazing job of helping people remodel, transform, have new lives. She says this, courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen, who we really are, what we really think, what we really believe. That's the only way you can know and be known. And God says, that's good. That's very good. But we still need a remodel, all of us, all of us. And so what happens next? The same thing that happens in every great story, and that is the hero is tested. Jesus is tested. This same spirit throws him out into the wilderness. Now, it's interesting. In the West, we often think that anything bad that happens, anything that's uncomfortable, anything that requires more of us than we would like is from the devil. That's not true. The scripture says, does the scripture say that the devil threw Jesus out in the wilderness? No. It was the spirit. It was God himself that thrust Jesus out into the wilderness. 
And, and it was a serious wilderness. It looks like this. I mean, there's nothing out there. And you starve to death, die from lack of water and dehydration. This is where God sent him. Now, to be fair, most of the, my colleagues and, and clergy, when they say they're called to a new church, it doesn't look like that. It normally looks like more money, more people, better facilities. That's what, that's what normally people get called to. But that's, but that's the devil, friends. Right? If, if every calling you get is more pleasure, more comfort, less pain, it's not God. It's not. It certainly wasn't for Jesus. The Spirit first calls him to the desert, and he wins, friends. If you have a trainer and they're asking you to do a push-up, your trainer's not going, ooh, I hope they can't do it. No, their expectation is that you can do it. That you do a push-up, and then next time maybe you can do two or three or ten. You see, temptations, and this is where we mess this up in church all the time. Temptations are not sent to make us fall or fail. They're not. They're to make us stronger. And so God says that we will never be given more than we can handle. To which Mother Teresa says, I wish God didn't trust me so much, which is awesome. We all can feel like that sometimes. But these temptations are to make us stronger. These, these things that are hard are to make us stronger, to make us more able to follow Jesus, more to transform the world. And so in Matthew, the temptation stories go like this. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, which means a long time. And afterwards, he was famished. And the tempter came and said, if you are the Son of God, he knew he was the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Many people think the, the stones actually look like loaves of bread. But Jesus answers him. It's written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is important, friends. If the devil starts talking to you, don't talk back. You never want to get in that argument. It did not go well for Eve. What you do is you step back and you say, no, that's not true. The truth of the matter is this. This is God's word. God's word is between me and the devil. That's what you want to do. But you have to know the, the scriptures to be able to do that. You have to say, well, what does God's word say about this? What does God's word say about me? And so Jesus refused to allow his mission to be influenced by concern for his safety or pleasure. And, and quite frankly, friends, this is where it breaks down. Because most of us, we want our mission to be full of safety and pleasure. And we become afraid or unwilling to do the hard thing because it's uncomfortable. So, uh, I'll speak for myself. Um, some of you are, have noticed by now that I'm very tan today. I'm super tan. And why? Because Chantel and I accidentally uh, booked ourselves on a geriatric snooze fest cruise. Uh, this is Nancy and John. They were two doors down from us uh, on level one. She wore that same outfit every day. And it was quiet. I mean, it was super quiet. Um, and we had a lot of fun. Um, but it was, it was interesting. We'd never been on an average age 85-year-old cruise before. Um, so if you want to know the crazy wild stories about your pastor and his wife when we're on vacation, looks like that. So there you go. But on one of the days, uh, we docked. Um, at Guatemala. I'd been to Guatemala before uh, as on one of our mission trips. Some of you have been with me on those. Um, and it was great. But this time we got to go up into the rainforest and, and we found this waterfall. Just, and you could get in and Chantel and I were the only ones young enough to actually make the hike. So we had it all to ourselves. And, and so it was awesome. And so you could get in the water and you could swim and you could hang out. For like two hours, we didn't even see people. It was, it was just us and untouched rainforest. And you, you know what came in my mind when I was in the water there, and take, hoping I didn't drown my iPhone? 
I thought to myself, I'm staying here. It's 85 degrees. It's February. It's sunny. The water's clean and beautiful and it's awesome. I'm staying here. I could learn Spanish. Right? We, you know, your mind starts to do these things like, this is perfect. Why would anyone ever leave this? This is great. The answer is, it's not my calling. I don't belong there all day, every day in ease of life and pleasure. I have a different calling. So do you. Each of us do. We have our own callings to, to live out. And, and, and this is great for a day. I'm not against this. This is great. And we all need time for renewal. We all need time to, to see the Spirit and see God's creation. And that's wonderful. But you can't stay there, is what Jesus says. He doesn't stay there. He moves into his mission, and so are we. But again, Jesus' answer to these temptations is with Scripture. That, that's not our life. So the devil takes him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, the place of power. And he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you're the Son of God, does the same thing again, lies to him. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so they will not dash your foot against a stone. This is a real temptation, friends. Everybody could see who Jesus is without him having to go to the cross. But he doesn't. He says, again, it's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I am God, and don't test me. Here's the scripture. Now, the pinnacle uh, looks like this. You can't really see how tall it is from there, or the fact that it's built on a mountain that overlooks all the surrounding areas. Uh, a different photo of it looks like this. Uh, it's now a part of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, but if, if you could look on down past these stones, it even drops another story or two or three. It was a huge place where you could see all the kingdoms of the world in that day. But here's the thing Jesus knew, and we need to understand. There are no shortcuts to greatness. There are no shortcuts to greatness. Say that with me. There are no shortcuts to greatness. Sacrifice is required. It just is. In the Christian life, if you want to be transformed, if you want to be made new, it takes the best of us, the very best of what we have. And so again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says to him, all these I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus says again, away with you, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is a scripture he would have known from a boy, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, the Lord alone. Worship him with all your strength and might and soul and mind. And then Jesus would add later, and another's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, what, so what, do we, what do we do with this? Well, our action steps are these. Nothing happens until, first of all, we're honest. We have to be honest. This is the book on us. This is the reality of who we are. This is where the Lord's doing good things in me, and this is where I struggle. This is going well, this is not going well. And so we just have to be honest about that. Secondly, then, we have to get started. We actually have to take a step. Step into what God is calling us to do, particularly in those areas of pain. Now, many of you have probably heard this before, uh, but it's true in your spiritual life as well as with a tree. When's the best time to plant a tree? Well, it's 20 years ago. Second best day is today. The time is now. Same thing is true with your spiritual life. Sure, would it have been great for us to learn and overcome some of these things that dog us 20 years ago? Sure, it would have been. That'd be great. But that's not afforded us. So today is the day. Take that step. And here's the important part. When we sow seeds, when we plant trees, we leave the results to God. We leave the results to God. It's his house. It's, it's his dream home that he's building in us. And it's better than we can even think or imagine. And the great news about these stories of Jesus is that when all this temptation was over, 
The devil did leave him. He did. And suddenly the angels came and they waited on him and they ministered to him. And they made him new. They made him new. And we can wait on Jesus and the angels as well. And he will make us new. He will make us new. Friends, doing this work will be hard. And there will be critics. But I believe it's the only thing worth doing. Actually making a difference. Uh, This photo is from April 23rd, 1910 uh, in Paris. as Theodore Roosevelt. And he gave what would become one of his most widely quoted speeches of his career. It's known as the man in the arena. Friends, we're not going to do this stuff perfectly. We're not going to do it without mistakes. We're going to fail and fall and pick ourselves up and try again. And it will take all of our community to do it with us. He, he says, Theodore Roosevelt did, that it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Anybody can do that. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. People can do that. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Amen? When you actually do it, when you're in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs. Yes, we're going to err. We're going to make mistakes. Who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. That's what he said. And it's about the only thing people remember of him. Because truth is self-authenticating. And that's the truth. That today's the day to be honest and to get started with the new life, the new home that Christ has for you to live in. Amen.